Our text this morning contains some of the most glorious future prophecy in the whole Bible. Alongside it, incredibly practical principles that direct God's men in life and godliness. And so, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, you can follow along as I read it aloud. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also uh, highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on the earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You and I are headed toward an examination. It's not like a yearly physical with your doctor. It's something much more significant. The reward seat of Christ, which is called the Bema in God's word, where our lives are going to be reviewed and rewarded based upon our faithfulness to God while we lived mortally here on the earth. Uh, Here's uh, some text on that. 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on uh, built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And so our examination by Jesus Christ is a real event that we are facing in the future. We're headed for it. What we do in this life really actually fully matters as far as God is concerned. We can all benefit from the reminder that as individuals, as believers, we need to have a healthy fear of the Lord. Um, The Bible says that it is by the fear of the Lord that we get wisdom, Job 28, by the fear of the Lord that the church increases, Acts 9, and through the fear of the Lord that we persuade men in the gospel, 2 Corinthians 5. And so, of course, you know, like many times when we're reading God's Word, the English language somewhat fails us when discussing this phrase, the fear of the Lord. We have a very limited understanding of that word fear. So I like what Pastor Greg Laurie says. He says, To fear God doesn't mean that we're cowering in terror before Him. Rather, the fear of God has been properly defined as a wholesome dread of displeasing Him. And so the Apostle Paul has thus far been detailing how to live an excellent Christian life full of God's power and plan, filled by the Spirit, used by Jesus for glory and gospel preaching. That's what we've been getting so far. If we are uninterested in that pursuit, if that doesn't interest us at all, then we find ourselves in a very sad and a very dangerous position because we are denying Jesus' lordship in our lives. And that's what this section is about, Jesus' lordship. Matthew Henry, the great Bible commentator, said this, We must resemble Christ in life if we would have the benefit of of his death. That's a very profound statement. What we find in our text is the answer key to the examination that we're going to be facing in the future at the Bema. Making Jesus Christ Lord and then imitating Jesus Christ as servant. He is a standard for our living and nothing else. He is it. Jesus Christ is our standard. He's a standard we're to follow and he's the one we are to resemble. And this, of course, is obvious when we pause and remember that God, the master creator, is currently molding and shaping us into the image of his son as we walk this life with him. 
That's what the Bible says. God has gone on record as saying that. And so obviously then Jesus Christ is the standard since that is the image that the Lord is molding us into. And so here's how we participate and apply this standard to our lives. Verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. First, we're to take on the mind of Christ. It's provided to us, demonstrated for us, available to us. How he looks at people, how he speaks to people, how he views life, how he views the scriptures. His mentality and way of thinking is what we are supposed to have as Christians. We're not supposed to have human thought with an occasional godly, godly filter attached. That's not how we're supposed to live life. But instead, Paul says, you need to fully take on the mind of Christ. So how do we do it? How do we get that mind? Well, according to this verse, by simply letting it in. That's what Paul says. Let it in. Let this mind be in you. Oftentimes, the Christian life is just about allowing God to do what he wants to do in us. He desires to give us this mind. He desires to give us this transformation. He's ready to make those changes in our hearts and in our lives. But so often we kick against his goads. We make ourselves rigid in his hands as he forms us. We wrestle against him and we try to keep him from altering us. And we need to let the Lord do the work that he desires to do. And so we're given the scriptures and we're given the Holy Spirit. And we need to let them in so that we can have the mind of Christ. That's the key. Another way to translate this phrase, let this mind be in you, is interest yourself in the mind of Christ. Interest yourself in him. Interest yourself in his plan and his principles. And so if I look within, if I really examine myself honestly, and if I find myself thinking that Jesus is not very interesting, and church is not very interesting, the Bible is not very interesting, then I have some work to do. I need to figure out you know, why that's happening. I need to root out whatever it is in my life that does not want to receive the fullness of God and the satisfied life he's offering. Because when we look into the scriptures and see God saying, here's what I've done for you, here's what I have waiting for you, and here's what I want to do through you, I mean, that is not uninteresting. I mean, it's incredible and mind-blowing and and just awe-inspiring. And so if I look at my Christian walk and think, that's not very interesting. I'm not really that into being a Christian or into the Bible. I need to root out whatever it is that's um, trying to keep the fullness of God out of my life. Verse 6. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Jesus Christ, our standard, is all about service. He's all about others. That's what we talked about last week, removing focus from self and living in godly strength and unity for others, serving them in the church and in our individual lives. Jesus Christ, who is eternal, he's the creator of all things, a member of the Trinity, he determined to take on a body of flesh and to serve mankind and then to live forever as the God-man. His service to us did not end on the cross, and still he makes intercession for us, still he prepares a place for us, still he speaks, still he serves. You know, so we think of, you know, I I know heaven for us is the great time to enter into my rest, and Jesus says, hey, you're done, you've accomplished what you, you know, were set out to do and what I wanted you to do. And in the meantime, Jesus is up there working for me, he's serving me, he's interceding for me and, and preparing a place for me. He still serves us, and that is a just something that I don't think we could even really comprehend um, what that means, that the God-man is forever uh, uh, in his human body while still being God, and still he serves. 
Verse 7 says that he made himself of no reputation. Literally, that phrase means, and all the commentators point this out, that he emptied himself out on our behalf. He emptied himself of the comfort and the privileges of heaven. He emptied himself of his rights and position as God. He emptied himself of wealth and the free use of his divinity to be submissive to God the Father on the earth. He was filled by the Spirit that he might serve and save the people of earth. That is our standard. That's our example. Ouch. <laughs> you know, when we start realizing the, the ratio of, of emptying to service, you know, between God and us, that's our Lord. This is who we're talking about. And we, and we are to follow him in emptying ourselves so that he might fill us with his spirit and with his righteousness. So God never asked us to empty ourselves and be empty. He says, no, I want you to empty yourself so I can fill you with my spirit, so I can fill you with my righteousness, and so that I can give you all of these things that I want to give you. When our examination before the Lord comes, will we have emptied ourselves as he did, or will we have crowded our lives with hoarded worldliness? That's a question that we all have to ask ourselves today. Have we emptied our lives of sin? I'm not saying that we become sinless. That is impossible. But turning from sin to God, moving past the snares of sin in his righteousness, sinning less despite the fact that we cannot become sinless this side of eternity. Have we emptied our lives of pride, being willing to humble ourselves that God might be glorified, willing to stoop to serve others so that they might be nudged nearer to the one who loves them? Have we emptied our demands for comfort, our demands for our rights and our wealth and our position, relinquishing those things to our God and Savior and allowing Him to determine our activity and our availability, our accounting, our attitudes, all of those things. Jesus, who is God of very God, emptied Himself and He was found as a bondservant for you and for me. And that is a good thing to think about today. Verse 8, being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. So if we were, you know, blown away by the previous verses and the, the, uh, the level of emptying and serving that we saw there, we get another stage here in verse 8. This is the standard. This is our example. This is our Jesus who we are supposed to resemble and imitate. Now, not every believer is going to be called to lay down his mortality at the hands of God's enemies, but every one of us is called to lay down our lives before the Lord. That's the deal. To take up a cross every day and to do what Jesus did, to love and to serve and to sacrifice ourselves on behalf of the kingdom. To speak the truth, to pray and to praise, to live in the will of the Father, demanding nothing. Jesus demanded nothing. And when we think about... Uh, the creator of heaven and earth living in first century Judea and dealing with the kinds of people that he dealt with, well, he demanded nothing. And this is rough. We're not conditioned to have this attitude naturally within ourselves, especially in a culture like ours, because ours is a hoarding culture. Ours is a self-centered culture. Ours is a culture that receives and takes and grabs anything that we can get. That is the opposite of the call of Jesus Christ, and that's the opposite of the example that he gave us. The call of Christ is downward. That's the way to heaven, by stooping in loyal adoration to our king, bowing our knee, and serving those around us, demanding nothing. That's what the Bible reveals to us. Matthew twenty-three twelve: Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's the route to heaven. That's the deal. And we cannot do this 
without the Spirit of God filling our lives. So I look within myself and I think, okay, this is the standard. This is what I'm called to. This is what the Lord wants you know, for me. I cannot do that. I can't stoop down. I can't empty myself out and still you know, do all these things that the Lord wants me to do. But the Spirit of God is the one that does it through us. We cannot do it on our own. We have to have God filling our lives. But the Spirit of God cannot fill our lives if we've already filled ourselves with carnality and already filled ourselves with sin, if we've already filled ourselves with selfishness and pride and demands that we're making of God or of others. We can't do it. So, I mean, what does the Bible say? The Bible says we cannot serve two masters. And here, God has given us the answer, He, to living a Christian life that pleases the Lord and ends in reward. A life that is filled and not destroyed. And it's all about relinquishing ourselves to Jesus Christ as Lord. Verse 9. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is our Lord. As Christians, we have pledged ourselves to him who bought us by his own blood. How are we saved? What does the Bible say? It says in Romans 10.9, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe within your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's how we're saved. And so we have confessed with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord. But today is the day that each of us can look within our lives and look within our activities and look within our attitudes and ask ourselves if I'm following him as Lord. And what does Lord mean? Lord simply means supreme in authority. That's what Lord means in the Bible. And so the question is, yes, I'm saved. I've confessed him as Lord. I've pledged myself to him. He blood bought me. I believe that God raised him from the dead. I am a Christian. I am saved. I have confidence in that. But have I given Jesus authority over my mind and my actions today? Have I given him authority over my plans and over my attitudes, over my finances, over my demands, over my rights, and over my reputation? If we confess that Jesus is Lord, yet deny him authority in our lives, then we are liars. And, and we're traitors. We're deserters from his holy army of royal priests. When our examination comes, will our lives have been lived for the glory of God the Father? You know, that's what this, the last verse there in uh, verse 11 says, to the glory of God the Father. Will we have emptied ourselves and filled up with Him and His power? Will we see the rewards that He is working to give us? Or are we going to watch today, or yesterday, or tomorrow, are we going to watch those days burn in the fire of His examination? We call him Lord, but have we given him the authority that is rightfully his? Are we acknowledging the fact that his plan is better, his power is greater, and our desire is to live in submission to him? Are we hoarding the things of this world, or have we bowed and humbled ourselves to take up the call of Christ? You know, this isn't a rebuke, it's an encouragement. Uh, Today is the day that the Lord has made, and he's made it so that you and I can follow our Jesus in the life and the strength that he demonstrated while on the earth. He's made this day so that you and I can glorify him. He's set us up for victory, not for defeat. God doesn't want to see us stumble. He wants to see us succeed. And he's equipped us and filled us and done so much on our behalf so that we can gain victory in this life, so that we can have reward. He's not, you know, this isn't wipeout where it's all set up so that we do fall off of the big pedestal and everybody laughs. God's like, hey, 
I'm clearing a path for you. I run the race with you. It's narrow, but we're going to go together. I'm your yoke fellow, and my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He set us up for victory. He's made this day so that we can glorify him, so that we can relinquish our lives to his will and be used in inexplicable ways to exalt him and edify others. God has made today so that we might be found faithful in that moment that we stand before the Lord. Will we be found faithful when today is reviewed in eternity? We know the exam is coming. We know the answers. We know how to receive the reward that God wants us to receive. We know how to please Him. We know how to glorify Him. We have all the time in this world to prepare for that moment where we stand before Jesus Christ. Though we fail, we are forgiven. Though we stumble, we can stand again because Jesus is with us. He is within us and He desires to move us forward. He desires victory for us. And so today, let's confess Him as Lord and be empty of this world, empty of our own selfishness, empty of pride, and full of His glory, stooping our knee down to bow in adoration and serve